was sitting down, I was preparing for today, and I was going through some things and jotting down some notes and scratching it all out. And if you'd ever see this up here, you wouldn't believe that it comes out the way that it does. But so I'm sitting there and I'm writing it down. And our youngest daughter is eight years old. And uh, Krista came over and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm writing things. And she said, you know, Dad, how, how do you know? How do you know what to write? And I, I was like, it was a great question. And uh, I wasn't really prepared with a great answer. Um, and I said, well, you know, um, just well, God tells me what to write. And so she paused for a second, and she was thinking some more, and I knew I was in deep trouble. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, well, then why do you keep scratching so many things out? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I just didn't get it straight the first time. I don't know. It's like, uh, go, go ahead and play for a little while. Why don't you go, go ahead, go ahead and play. Anyway, and uh, oh, the best story that I heard was a story of a, of a, a woman who uh, was, she was a young lady. She had moved out of her house, and she was boasting of her independence. And every time that she'd get a promotion or something, she'd just send a little telegram or a little wire to her folks. And the first wire was this. It said, uh, made supervisor, feather in my cap. That's all that she said. A couple weeks later, they get another wire. It said, made manager, feather in my cap. Then in a matter of time, after a few weeks, she said another wire. It said, fired, send money for ticket to fly home. <laughs> her, her parents wired her back. No ticket necessary. Use the feathers. <laughs> I like that. You know, I was thinking about that story because it reminds me of probably one of the most confusing messages of all. And every one of those in itself has some confusion that's attached to it. But the thing that's more confusing than any is a message that's being proclaimed by Christians everywhere. And that is that we as Christians declare our dependence upon God. And at the same time, we let everybody know of our achievements, our successes, and our so-called self-sufficiency. On one hand, we're totally dependent on the Lord, and on the other hand, we take credit for everything that we achieve in life, and we take credit and boast about our self-sufficiency. So I don't know if you've thought about it, but it's just as much a confusing message as some of the things I've just shared with you. How is it that we could be totally dependent upon the Lord, and out of the same mouth, the second later, take all the praise and glory for those things which we accomplish in this life? doesn't make any sense. And it is a good question. Thank you very much. I count on that kind of response to keep me going. It's early in the morning. I need that, believe me. But the question that, we're gonna, that, that we raised last week and we're going to continue to address is, okay, if you're so dependent upon God, then who, gets, then who gets the glory in your life? Who gets the glory? We're dependent upon Him, but yet we're so independent. And I don't understand. It's kind of like a contradiction in terms. One of my favorite contradictions in terms has always been the phrase jumbo shrimp. And um, if, th if, this, if this will help you to remember this contradiction, then that would be great. But you stop and think about it. Jumbo shrimp, think about it, dwell on it for a little bit. What are we trying to say here? And the other one that gets me going, too, is hot, uh, a bowl of hot chili. I don't know. Maybe you don't think about stuff like that, and you probably don't know the kind of response I usually get here every week. Anyway, um, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory in your life? Who gets the praise? And so as we've been going through, the last thing that we saw is that the Bible is pretty clear that there is one person who should get all the glory and should get all the praise. Now, this is the result of what God has to say, but he says that, therefore, 
And we're going to get into later as we close this, we'll come back to this text. So if you're Philippians 2, we're going to see what it's there for. But typically what happens is if you read in the Bible, it says, therefore, in this case, therefore, God, well, what for? What's there for? Why is it there? And you have to go back to what precedes it to find out why this conclusion is made. We'll come to it at the end. But he says, therefore, God exalted him, Jesus Christ, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The Bible is clear that Jesus Christ has been given a name that's above every other name. And we know that's true just in the reactions that people have when we say the name of Jesus. In fact, I did a chapel last night for the Seattle Seahawks and we were talking about this. Some of the guys that were there went up early and had dinner and we were just discussing how you can share with anybody anything until you say the name of Jesus. And when you say the name of Jesus, the, back, uh, the, the hair on the back of a person's neck stands up and they get offended by it. You can talk about God, you can talk about whomever you want to talk about, but there's something about the name of Jesus that is offensive. And the question was, I well, wonder why that is. And it's obvious because the answer is here, right in front of us. Because God gave him a name that's above every other name. That just the mere mention of his name gets people excited. Should either get you excited to praise his name, or it'll get you excited to be offended by it and take offense at what was just said. But the name of Jesus is an unbelievable name. And in talking with these guys, you know, it's amazing because, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the primary language, as it was for me when I was growing up in Pittsburgh, the primary language was swearing, secondary language was English, as I always say. And, uh, and in the NFL, the, the same is pretty much the case. Um, you know, he was saying that one coach, and, and I, you know, sometimes if you're not in, the, in there playing and you're on the sidelines, and you ever see those guys with like the little charts, you know, little, you know, the, the, uh, the clipboards, you ever wonder what they're keeping track of? Well, the one guy told me that in a 10-minute in conversation, he kept track that their coach said the F word 67 times. That's really what they're charting. That's what they use those little charts for. It's kind of like, oh, there's another one. They're just checking it off. Now, you think they're doing plays and strategy and stuff. It's like, man, yeah. And, and this was, he said, man, can you believe it? In, in, in a 12-minute conversation, he said it 67 times. And, he, and they, they were kind of like, I think that was a new personal best. You know, it was like a record that he said. And... Uh, but, but the amazing thing is that, and Jesus' name comes up all the time. All the time. And in fact, oh yes, let me ask you a question. I, I laid out a challenge here last week. And I want to see if any of you took the challenge up. I know somebody has, and, and, but I'm going to ask, I'm going to just kind of throw it out. I said last week that if you ever heard somebody use Jesus Christ's name in vain, I want to see if you had the guts, the boldness, to use it as an introduction in a conversation to talk about Jesus Christ. Remember? Kind of look up in the air. Where? Do you see him coming? Talk about the second coming. We'll talk about the, you know, the, arc, arc, the, the, uh, the trumpet blasting. Anybody have the guts to do that? Anybody else? Yes! Yes! Four! That's four more than I thought. This is great. Now I'm confused. Who should I call on? Oh, man. Uh, who wants to? Anybody want to share what, they, what, what took place? Because, I, you know what, there was, how, raise your hands again. Oh, yes, yes. Three men, raise that hand. And two women. 
Oh, yeah, better question. You know, always, hey, you got to count on the attorney to come up with the better questions, you know. <laughs> All right, here is a better question. It is a better question. How many of you heard Jesus Christ's name used in vain this week? Oh, more than four. More than four. Oh, more than four. Good question. Good question. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Anybody want to share what they did, what took place, how it happened? What was the response? You want to? <laughs> That's great. And you said, well, yeah. <laughs> what did you say? Is that, was that the end of it or is it kind of... That was the end. Okay. Well, that, I mean, yeah, yeah, you took the first step. I love it. Anybody else want to share anything? Sandy, you want to share something? No, I hate big crowds, but do you want to? You have to. You got to. Everyone can turn around. So, you know, it's, a, it's fascinating to me, and I, and I think that the point that we made last week is well taken, and that is our assumption is that people believe that everybody that you know has heard that Jesus Christ is God. Everybody's heard it. We believe that. And here was a gal that she was working with that continued to lose, use Christ's name in vain, never had a clue or concept of even who he was or why she was even doing it, but uh, had the opportunity just to be able to share the gospel with her and have her to have continued conversation with, I'd never heard that. You know, and to share more of it. You know, these aren't little just tricks or games to try to get you motivated to, to share. But uh, this was great, too. I love this one. Um, I was asked um, to, uh, to do the closing prayer at the, at the uh, Anaheim, annual Anaheim prayer breakfast. And um, it was great. There was about 800 people there. And since it was the city of Anaheim, they needed to have somebody. They wanted somebody that was associated with the Los Angeles Rams to be there. And so they called me and asked me to, to be there and represent the Rams as their chaplain, which was great. Because the nice thing about it is that since they never hired me, they can't fire me. And um, <laughs> takes all the pressure off right away. There's no pressure at all. And the other part of it is, it's real good for community relations, you know. And so it's nice to have somebody who is representing you well in the community and not costing you anything. So, you know, and knowing their organization and, and how they throw nickels around like manhole covers, you know, this fits right in with, with the direction that they're going. So it was great. Anyway, so as, uh, as we were there and um, Brent, Brent was there. Brent, you want to share with, with uh, everybody what you did? Or, I mean, this crowd's small compared to that crowd. You don't have to speak up. Stand up, yeah. Yeah, well, okay. And this is what he said. And he came up to me and goes, yeah, that, well, that was good. But he, gave, he was asked to give the, the prayer for the state, nation, and community. And so we were in the back, and uh, beforehand, before we walked out on the, the head table or whatever that thing is up there, um, uh, he came up to me and said, you know, after Sunday, I was really convicted that I need to praise the name of Jesus Christ in this prayer. And he did. And it was great. And he, he led it off with the prayer 
praise in the name of Jesus. The speakers got up and, and spoke for about two minutes about uh, their role as Don and Barbara Hodell, who was the Secretary of Interior, also Secretary of Energy under the Reagan administration, spoke for about three minutes on, on what it was like to be in Washington, what that was all about, and spent the next 25 minutes just praising the name of Jesus Christ and what he means to them and how he changed their life and the direction that he's given them, the purpose and the hope. And then I got to close it at the end, man. And then we're talking, we had a fun time that morning, man, and I was excited. And you know what was great? The Hodels came up to me and Don came up to me later and he said, he goes, you know what? And I just thanked him for, for, because one of the things that he had made a joke about, he said that, you know, the thing with Bill Dannenmeyer is that, you know, if you listen to him speak, you never walk away saying, I wonder what he meant by what he just said. And, you know, that was his joke. And so I went up to him, I said, hey, Don, you know what, uh, the good news is I don't think there's any question about what you meant about what you said. And uh, he said, you know, it's easy for me. Because I'm brought in, I live out of town, I come in, I address a group like this, I can be bold, I can lay it out. And I do every opportunity that I get. He said, but what was exciting to me was to see people in the community who were like Brent and like me and other people that were there who would stand boldly in front of people that know him on a day-to-day -day basis, who watch their lives, who see if there's a contradiction, to see if there's any hypocrisy, to watch him in action, and to still take the same position of boldly claiming that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's the challenge that's before us, and I think the reason most of us don't do it is because we're just not quite sure why we should. We're just not quite sure why we should, and that's why we're looking at why we should glorify Jesus Christ. Why bring the praise and the glory to Jesus Christ? If you're truly dependent upon Him, then why doesn't He get the praise and the glory for the achievements and the, and, and the activities of your life? And so as we go through this, here's seven reasons I've underlined them, and we'll go through them. Uh, he's the image of the invisible God. The first thing that we saw was that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his nature, that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He has a unique personhood that no other person in the world, the history of the world, no other person in the future ever to be born can make that same claim. He has a birth like no other birth. Galatians says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. It was prophesied 800 years before his birth, who he was, where he'd be born, what he was to do, his, mes his message, his mission, his purpose, everything was told foretold by God. He is a unique person in the history of the world. And if we could just understand that, we would be just like it says in Hebrews, let all the angels of God worship Him. God alone deserves worship, and the Bible says that Jesus Christ is worshipped by the angels of God. And we too should worship Him. So the first thing that we see is He's the Im image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He is fully divine, and fully human. He is unique in the person that He is. Understand that if you understand nothing else. There's nobody like Him. There's no one like Him. It says He is the firstborn over all creation. We saw that firstborn as the image of, of the invisible God has to do with His personhood. Firstborn has to do with His preeminence. He is the firstborn over all creation. He is preeminent. He comes before everything and anything else. If you would use that as a rule of thumb for your life, it would change the way that you live and the direction that you go. 
If you are committed to please Jesus Christ above your spouse, if you are committed to please Jesus Christ above your children and above your work and above uh, the people that you associate with on a daily basis and the community that you live in and everything that's going on, if you are committed to putting Him first, Matthew 6.33, all these other things will be added unto you. Everything else that you're striving for and everything else in life will fall into place when Jesus Christ is preeminent in your life. He's got to come first. Your marriage is messed up? I'll bet you it's because Jesus Christ isn't first in one of your relationships. I'll bet you. Someone is violating the principles of God. That's why it's not working. Everything's like that. He's got to come first. He's preeminent, the firstborn over all things. And it has to do with, by, for by Him all things were created. And we saw and we began to touch upon it, and we're going to look at it a little more this morning. And that is, by Him all things were created, referring to the power that He has. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, everything, all things were created by Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among, from among the dead so that He might have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. For the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. We're talking about how to please God. God was pleased and the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus Christ. How do you and I please God? That's the question. We please God by exalting the name of Jesus Christ before the world in which we live. Now the question is, why should we do it? Let's take a look at the third thing that we began to touch base on a little bit last week. And that is, we should glorify Jesus Christ because of His power. Because of His power. Glorify Jesus Christ because of His power. The New Testament is just filled and explicit about the creative power of Jesus Christ. It says, For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and also for Him. The book of John tells us that through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. That everything that we see was made by Jesus Christ and through Him. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 44. As we consider the power of God. Chapter 44. Let's look at verse 24. And again, in the back of your mind, you have to be asking, you know, why should Jesus Christ get the glory and the praise for everything in this life? Why should I? Why should I exalt His name? I mean, what has He really done? And this is the power that's demonstrated. In, in uh, chapter 44, look at verse 24. It says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. It says, I, the Redeemer, I am your Redeemer, the Lord. And you know what? I made you, I formed you, I made you in your mother's womb. And not only did I make, made, 
make you, but I made everything. And I stretched out the heavens by myself, and I spread out the earth all alone. And you know what he says? He didn't need anyone's help to do it. And the good news is he didn't have to consult a committee on how it should be done. He just did it. I love it. And that's the way that God works. Turn ahead to chapter 45 a second. Verses 5 through 7. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There's no other besides me. There is no other God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. I do it all. He has the power to do it all. He has the power to cause the sun to come up. He has the power to cause the sun to set. You know, and as you just go through this, it's like, you know, when was the last time that you made an ocean? When was the last time that you made the sunrise? When was the last time that you caused the sun to set? When was the last time you threw stars out into the universe and you held them in place? What, what, I mean, what's your role and function in making sure that this earth that we know doesn't fly off into eternity somewhere? What are you doing about all of these things? I would have to say that in contrast to what I'm reading about who Jesus Christ is, that I'm not a whole bunch. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like real grateful to be part of the program. Thank you very much for putting me here. I know what an awesome and powerful God that you are. And so as I consider my humble and measly achievements, who am I in light of who you are to take credit for these little things that I accomplish? You're the God who holds it all together. You know what, if I'm going to praise anybody, it's not going to be me anymore, but it's going to be Jesus Christ. I want to let everybody know how awesome He truly is. Because the Bible is filled with example after example about what He, what he does and who He is. And as we go back through, even this here says, For by Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, the origin of all things is through Jesus Christ. All things were created by Him. The operation of everything that's come into being is through Jesus, and it's all for Him. The purpose of all of creation, including you and me, is to bring Him pleasure, to please God. So you ask yourself, man, why should I, why should I glorify Jesus Christ? Man, he, I, I, if nothing else, He's got the power to create the universe. He's awesome. He's awesome. You know, and it's kind of like, I remember a few years ago that I, that I issued a challenge out about using the word awesome because awesome is used for everything, you know, what an awesome this or that, and my kids use it all the time. And, and I, I think I'm going to just throw it out to you again. I want you to consider this, but would you be willing to reserve the word awesome for who truly is awesome, and that is Jesus Christ? Can I challenge you to do that? To save that word, to use only for your relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's truly awesome. And what a great opportunity it is to share with your children and other people to say, hey, you know what? Let's not use the word awesome for something that's not. Let's save it for Jesus Christ because He is awesome. And that's exactly what it means. When I think about Him, you've got to go like this. <sighs> wow. He's awesome. Fourth reason that we should glorify Jesus Christ has to do with the fact of His pre-existence. Of His pre-existence. Jesus Christ and His pre-existence should be a reason that we should glorify Him. 
says he is before all things. Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, was quite well and quite alive long before he came to this earth as a baby in Bethlehem. He is before all things. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The very beginning of it all, Jesus Christ was there. He was alive and He was quite well before He ever came to this earth. Let me ask you a question. We're going through and we're doing a Bible study this past um, summer. And um, it, it was um, in training camp with the Rams. And one of the guys that came, it was like one of the first few times that he's ever come to anything. And we were going just through the book of Genesis, just going through the creation account. And it starts out, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And that's the, the beginning of the book. That's how it starts. So you go through and say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So this one guy's wheels were cranking, man. I could just see it. I smelled him burning, actually. And, uh, <laughs> and I was waiting for it. I knew it was coming. I just didn't know what was going to happen. And I didn't know what he was going to come up with because these guys can come up with some great stuff. And they're not afraid to ask the questions because, you know, they don't have a problem with self-image. Obviously, you, you don't get to that point in your professional career by having a, a weak self-esteem. Um, you know, they're there. They deserve to be there. They made it through all the odds. And if they want to ask you something, they just ask you. And I like it because I'm ready. So anyway, he just said, you know, there's one thing that's always bothered me. No one's ever been able to answer it. And right there, I feel like, oh, no, you know, the burden of all Christendom rests on my answer. You know? <laughs> It's all going to rise and fall based on what I say. You know, that's it. You know, 2,000 years of history is about to be ready to flush down the toilet with my answer. And he said, but you know, I've always had this question. No one's ever been able to answer it. And I'm just wondering if you can. I say, well, I'll give it a shot. What's the question? He goes, you know, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he goes, you know, the thing that really bothers me is that who made God? Who made God? Good question. Who made God? Now, I just want to see if, if I didn't give him a real good answer. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Who made God? No one did. Yeah, they buy that right away. Uh, no one did. Okay, that's the answer I've been looking for. <laughs> Sleep tonight, boy. Content, no doubt about it. That's what I thought. But it is true. What you said is true. But the question is, you think anyone's going to buy that answer? Not that we're trying to sell them one, but let me ask you a question. Who made God? He's self-existent. Sure he is. He's pre-existent. He always was. It just says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was there in the beginning. All right? Well, how do you explain that to somebody? He just always was. That, but that's true, right? I know everyone's going, yeah, I know, but that's the right answer. I know it's the right answer. Why isn't he giving anybody credit for this one? Where's he heading with this? Who made God? How do you explain that he always was? How do you explain that he always was in a term or words or some kind of a sequence of logic so that somebody who's there who's struggling for that answer can walk away with it and say, that makes some sense. He always was, doesn't do it. It just doesn't even though it's right. Come on, somebody, help me out here. What would you say? You don't. You just have to accept it by faith. That, uh, yeah, you know, and when I get frustrated, I use an answer too. That's just the way it is. Just the way it is. You don't like it? That's too bad. That's just the way it is. And who invited you anyway? That's a real dumb question. Take a hike. 
you know what? And I didn't have an answer for him. I said, man, you know what? That is a great question. I, I, I don't have an answer that makes a whole lot of sense. Because I had all those answers. And, and I knew I couldn't use it. There was just no way. Because you ever like, start to answer something and you know, okay, if I say this, this is really dumb. This is real dumb. So I just went home. And I prayed about it. And I went out for a jog. I went out for a run. And I said, Lord, that's the greatest question. And there has to be an answer that will make sense to people who are, who, who are finite in how they think about you and comprehend you, comprehend you that will make some sense to them. And the only thing that I kept coming back to was this. It was as if God said, wait a minute. See, from a finite mind, all of us have to believe there's a beginning. There has to be a beginning. And the wonderful thing was, the answer, as I was thinking about it, totally blows away evolution, and it's the reason evolution will never, never work. Because evolutionists believe that everything has to have a beginning. There has to be an origin to all things. And the one question evolutionists can ever answer is, okay, if you believe in the Big Bang, where'd the dust come from? If you believe that a you know, meteor hit this planet, where'd that come from? Where did all that stuff come from? There has to be an origin to all things. So evolution can never address that. That's where they'll always fall short. They're going to be stumped on that one. But now as a Christian, we're thinking, okay, the Bible says in the beginning, God. God was there. God was in the beginning. He was the one who created everything as we know it. So he had to be in the beginning. And the answer that I got, and I went back to him, I said, you know what? That's a great question. And the only thing that I can think of that would answer that question was that there has to be an origin of all things. There has to be a beginning. So God had to exist before creation in order that he could create what we now see. There had to be an origin of our creation. God had to be there in the beginning. Now, if someone created God, listen to me, if someone created God, then whoever created God or whatever created God was there before his existence. Therefore, God would no longer be God, but the one or the force who created God would become God because in the natural sequence of events, he had to be there in order to create. So the answer was very simple. There in the beginning, and what you're saying is correct, but he didn't understand it, and that is that he had to be the one to start everything because if someone or something was there before him, then that or some person would become God. But it's the answer to all the questions about where everything comes from, and that is the Bible teaches an eternal pre-existing God. Simple as that. That's the way it works. And there's no other way logically that it breaks down. Anyone or anything before God that would claim to have created God would be greater than the God that he or she or whatever it was created. Therefore, the God that we know could not be our God because someone or something was greater than he that made him. And so it's just natural. In the beginning, God. And by faith, we must believe that he exists. That he was just there. He had to be there because nothing else makes any sense from a logical sequence. He had to be there in the beginning. Now the good news is that Jesus Christ was the pre-existent God. In, in John 8.58, the amazing thing is that Jesus was talking to a group of people at that day and they were claiming that Abraham was their father and he said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
John the Baptist said that there was one who was coming after him whose, whose sandal he was unworthy to tie or untie, and he was greater than he was because he existed before him. And if you know anything about the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's incarnation on earth took place six months after the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was chronologically older than Jesus Christ, but John the Baptist realized that Jesus Christ was existent and existing before he ever came to the face of this earth. He is the pre-existent God in human flesh. And you know why we know it? Because in just this simple statement, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was born, I am. Not I was, not I will be, but I am. Eternally present, eternally there, always existing, God Almighty. And you know how we knew it was true? The next statement, it says, The Jews picked up rocks, therefore, to stone him to death for blasphemy, for blasphemy claiming to be God. That statement alone, if there are none others, and there are thousands of them, that Jesus Christ claimed to be God in human flesh. That statement alone and the reaction of the crowd indicates that he claimed to be the eternally existent, always present, omnipotent God Almighty. Why should you glorify him? Man, that sure sounds like a good reason to me. You know, was he a blasphemer? Blasphemer? Was he a paranoid, schizophrenic personality with delusions of grandeur about who he was? Uh, or was he who he claimed to be? And he claimed to be God Almighty in human flesh. I'll tell you what, that's reason to get excited about who he is. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about it. Where's Tom? Tom must have thought that the Rams won last week. That's why he didn't show up. How's that, man? Oh, man, I'll lie, I'll tell you. Okay, here we go. Number five, number five. We should glorify Jesus Christ because of His wonderful providence. His wonderful providence. It has to do with control. One of the most amazing things. In Him, all things hold together. And I just give you something, uh, just a simple, maybe silly illustration. And that is that, have you ever flown on an airplane? I was studying this when we were flying on our, our way home uh, from our trip that we went on. And you got eight hours you're up in the air. You have a lot of time to think about, how's this work? <laughs> you know? You're looking out the window. You're looking down there. Ooh, this is kind of neat. You don't want to think about it too terribly much because it's not a real comforting thought, especially when they're going through their routine about, you know, hey, guess what? Uh, put your seatbelt on and, uh, you know, wear your vest. And it was all over the ocean. And it's kind of like... Yeah, right. When was the last time you ever heard a 747 dive into the ocean and the news flash was, good news. They all had their seatbelts on and they had their life jackets on. Huh. It's like, come on now. I mean, I, I, I've never heard of it. It was slammed into the side of the mountain and the good news is everyone survived because they wore their seatbelts. <laughs> so anyway, you're on this plane and they're going through the formalities of trying to make you feel better about something that's not even a practical thing. And um, so you're looking out the window and you're thinking, how does all this work? And you know how it all works? This is great. Maybe this will be some comfort for you. You know how it works? Right here. And in Him, Jesus Christ, all things hold together. The best news of all is that when you're up in the air, the only thing that keeps that plane from not flying off into outer space somewhere, or, the, or you know, it's kind of like, can you imagine now, if Jesus Christ wasn't holding the earth together, okay, here's the way it would work. Your plane would take off, you'd be on a trip. You try to come down and land, but someone moved the earth. <laughs> huh? How'd you like that? That'd be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? Hey, where'd LAX go? I don't know. Did you see it? I haven't seen it. Where'd it go? Hey, the good news is that anybody, it's like, hey, it's, it's there. It's fixed. It holds into place. 
people on the space shuttle are real excited about news like this. <laughs> that, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to go to the moon. You get halfway there. Hey, it's moving. It's moving. I don't know if we can catch it. I hope we can catch it. See, and you don't think about things like this, but it's like, who holds all this stuff together? Who holds it all together? The Bible says Jesus Christ holds it all together. The Bible says Jesus Christ keeps the oceans from coming and flooding, flooding the land. Go lay on the beach sometime. I don't know if this wants to get you. This will get you a little shook. You'll probably move back a little bit. It's funny, you know, at high tide, we all run back a little bit. But stop and think about this. The ocean in some places is 3,000 feet deep, right? And, and it goes and it goes and it goes. Now, what keeps all that there? Huh? What keeps it there? The sand on the beach. That's what it is. The sand on the beach keeps it all there. Whoop, can't go any further. There's that sand again. Back on up. Huh? It's like, what keeps it there? I mean, there's thousands of feet of water out there just waiting for some place to go. But you know what the Bible says? That God holds it in its place. He said, never again will that water ever overtake the surface of the earth. I promise you that. And I'll even give you a sign of, of my promise, and there'll be a rainbow. It's like, yeah, it's like, this is good news. God holds everything together. So as you go through this, He upholds all things by the word of His power. How many of you, by saying something, can control the environment in which we live? The Bible's filled with it. Jesus calmed the seas. What did He say? He rebuked the winds and said, stop blowing. That's all He had to do. And they were blown away. They said, what kind of man is this that even the, even the winds and the seas listen to him? Isn't that great? This is good stuff. Get excited about it because you know what? It should make you go through your life confident of one thing, and that is that God is in control. Jesus Christ is in control, and everything that he holds together should excite you to go around and let people know the good news is Jesus Christ is in control of it all, and therefore we should glorify and praise his name. Two more quick things. We should also glorify him because of his place of, uh, of his exalted place of authority. He's the head of the body, the church. He comes first in all things. God placed all things under his feet, appointing him to be head over everything for the church, with it, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We should praise and glorify Jesus Christ because of his place of authority that was given to him by the Father, that he comes first before all, all else that you can think of. He comes first, Colossians 1.18, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. He is given that first position. He should come first in your family. He should come first at this church. There shouldn't be a church that's in existence that isn't in existence for one reason and one reason only. All the rest of the programs are great, but it all funnels through this, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ before the world. That's the primary purpose of the church as it was established by God. If Jesus Christ isn't exalted from the pulpit of the church that you attend or listen to, then you better go somewhere and find Find a place that Jesus Christ is exalted before men. And the wonderful news is that this church is dedicated and committed to that fact. Everything else falls into place. Jesus Christ comes first. He's exalted. And he has that rightful place. And the last thing is we should glorify Jesus Christ because of his special position among believers. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Colossians 1.18. Ephesians 1.20 and 21 says, And God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus Christ's position at the right hand of God, seated at the right hand, his redemptive work done, his resurrection leading the way for our resurrection, someday as we die, we too will be raised from the dead. We will be given a place in eternity because of, of the finished redemptive work of Christ. It happens and he has a special position among the believers. He led the way 
and we're to follow based on His promises and on what He did, not on ourselves, not on anything that we've done, but based on the, the, the grace that God has given every one of us who respond to the, to the promises of God through Jesus Christ. As you go through all of this, there are seven great reasons to exalt and praise the name of Jesus Christ. Seven reasons. His personhood, His preeminence, His power, His preexistence, his wonderful providence, it has to do with control and also provision. To take care of you, to meet all of our needs. He promises to do that. His place of authority and his position among believers. I'm going to read you a note that I got in closing. Because, you know, sometimes notes like this just put it all together a lot better than I can do it. And uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to say who this is and I'm not even going to, to, to name a name. And I hope that this doesn't embarrass you if you're here. But... Um, the note was an encouragement to me about the control of God in our life. His control, His compassion, His care, His provision for us. And this person wrote, I want to thank you personally for yesterday's lesson, speaking of last Sunday. All your lessons are great, but this one touched me in a special way. For the past 11 years, I've worked as a software engineer. The past six years as a consultant. I try to always give God the glory. With each new assignment and each pay raise, I would praise God, knowing this to be a gift from Him. Suddenly, last June, I was out of work, and as the months passed without any job offers, I began to devalue myself. In fact, last week, I wrote to a friend that, quote, I am less important to the ecosystem than gutter slime. As I listened to you Sunday, I realized that God is still in control of my life. I realized that I could not truly be giving God all the glory if I am so anxious to take all the blame. I am only responsible to do my best and to seek His will, even when it, it seems to be obscure. I am smiling again because my focus once more is on Jesus Christ. I am trusting in His perfect plan, and thank you. I'll bet you didn't expect the Lord to use your lesson in quite this way. That's exciting. Jeremiah chapter 9 says this, and we'll close. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, nor let a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and that he knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness justice and righteousness on earth for I delight in these things. Do you want to know how to please God? <laughs> it's pretty easy, isn't it? There's one way above every other way that you can possibly please God in your life and that's to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. To give Him all the glory. To give Him all the honor. Let Him who boasts boast of this one thing that He understands and that He knows me. Let's pray. Father, I'm encouraged by this note, just an awareness that, that we have, that you give us, that even though we go around and tell people that, yeah, we're giving you all the praise and the glory, when adversity comes up, we realize that we were really were never doing that. It was token gesture, it was lip service. God, help us to realize as we consider who Jesus Christ is and what your word teaches, how awesome he truly is. Help us to understand that if we're to be totally dependent upon him, 
then as Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me in the life that I now live in this flesh. I live by my faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Father, help each of us to see that we no longer exist if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ lives through us. And that it is He who should get all the glory and all the praise. And that everything that happens in our life, just as the, the story of the blind man in John chapter 9, everything that happens, happens so that Jesus Christ may get all the praise and all the glory. And we just thank you. In His wonderful name we pray. Amen.